I'm Melissa Currents. And I'm Amy Yersen. And we welcome you to the 19th episode of the What Would Alice Paul Do podcast. This show is about demystifying what it means to be a volunteer with the League of Women Voters today. In this episode, we're taking your questions and reflecting on our experience at the League of Women Voters National Convention in Chicago. We also have an activist action alert. Amy, uh, you've had a busy summer so far. Uh, We both had a busy summer so far. (laughs) We have. So we had a national convention, and congratulations, Melissa, being on the new League of Women Voters national board. Does it feel as awesome as it is? (laughs) It does feel pretty awesome. I have my official league email, so I feel very connected. And um, we are going to have our first real board meeting in a couple weeks, and I'm really excited to find out all that I'll be working on this. Uh, so my term is for two years, and I'm really excited. Yep, actually, and so you're—I mean, that's you're on a really special term because you're taking the league to 2020 yes. for a hundred-year anniversary. Don't think I haven't thought about that because I'm totally <laughs> geeking out. That's good because I'm glad that you're on this board. At this time, geeking out, because that's a good thing. Yes. I love my history. Yeah. And this is, I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge honor. It's a huge responsibility. We have a lot of, I mean, this is a hundred years of women, so many women taking that torch and fighting for not only uh, women's right to vote, but, you know, everything from inclusion to choice, property, I mean, environment, there's, there's so much. So it's, um, There's a lot to talk about, a lot to celebrate, a lot to reflect on. This board has got a it's got a big role ahead of it. Amy, you're freaking me out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, don't worry. The entire Washington D.C. area will be partying with you and with all of us. Uh, right. The museums have already started celebrating women's hundred years of voting, so um, you're already in good company. Oh, good, good. I'll drink to that. <laughs> there we go. And I mean, I guess similarly, I'm, I was elected to the national nominating committee. And so I have to find the next board with the team to take us from 2020 to 2022. So that's like the board of the future. So that's kind of crazy. Nominating committee is the best role in league because you get to set how the future is going to be. Yeah, it's I'm I've never served on a nominating committee before. But I have to say it is a little bit daunting. I don't I'm not sure I'm really great at hiring people because I just like most people when I meet them. And I've been told I don't have a great judge of character. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm a little worried. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not doing this alone. (laughs) Right, right. It's a team. And it's a pretty strong team, as I recall. It is. It is. And we actually have, we're, I think we have a couple more coming, so um, it'll be good. But uh, it's, I'm excited. <laughs> Bounce ideas off people. <laughs> yeah, I, I love nominating committee. Every time I've served on a nominating committee, I get really enthusiastic about what the possibilities are. That's cool. That's good. To th- that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fun. You'll have a good time and you'll and you'll um, you'll fit into the role more than you think you will. Well, yeah. same same for you. Yeah. <laughs> National board. <laughs> yeah, we're we all are taking on things that we haven't done before. Yeah, yeah. So it's this good. is a it's a new time. Um, after I stepped off for the national board, I started interning uh, with staff at the National League of Women Voters. Wow. And so I'm learning the ropes about development, so I can learn how to fundraise. Like I said, I think many podcast episodes ago that it was a personal goal of mine to learn how to do fundraising. And there's nothing like getting in the thick of it. And so, yeah, so the staff is being, they're just wonderful. I told them to treat me like I'm 80 years old because 
I don't know how to do a lot of stuff and um, <laughs> they're very patient and kind. So it's, it's really oh, been a nice, um, nice stepping into this. So I just, uh, I have to jump in here and tell you how I finished reading three outstanding books. I've started a new one, but I'll get into that in a minute. Um, so for national convention, we had a, our keynote speaker for the banquet dinner was Eileen Weiss, uh, who wrote woman's hour and, so I wanted to make sure I read that book before um, having the banquet dinner. And I have to say it was fantastic. This book is all about uh, the campaign for women getting the right to vote. And it talks about Carrie Chapman Cat and her um, force. It talks about Alice Paul and her people and her strategy. And then it talks about the anti-suffragists and how um, you know they took it to the street. And so throughout the book, we talks, she compares these three campaigns or three, you know, and all the tactics mm-hmm. and all the people in it. And, um, Melissa, you're reading this book. How do you, how are you liking it? Yeah, I really love it. Being an Ohio citizen, I love like all of the connections to Ohio because both presidential candidates were from Ohio at the time. So it was a really big deal to try to assuade them. Um, and this is uh 1920. Really what I think is fascinating is about like how political the anti-suffrage people are because they didn't it's like they didn't want to be political but they were Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a it's uh it's interesting well and i thought it was is really interesting how ruthless people got like they literally kidnapped people they lied to them um it was it was terrible like they were so awful and so i know politics nowadays is pretty bad but um i mean it's it was really bad then. Like right. they would give them the wrong meeting times. They'd give them the wrong rooms. They literally would say, your wife has died or your child has died. You need to go home and deal with that. And so they would miss the vote. Um, and yet they'd get there and then everything would be fine. And of course, you know, it was like by train or by wagon and horse. So it was like it took days. And so they knew it was what the, you know, what they were doing. After I, so before I read uh, Woman's Hour, I read Alice Paul Claiming Power um, and that's a biography all about Alice Paul. And I it set me up really well for reading Woman's Hour. Uh-oh. The Alice Paul book I thought was outstanding, especially since we have the podcast about her. I wanted to better understand who she was and what she, you know, really why, why was Alice Paul Alice Paul and not why did she not work closer with Carrie Chapman Cat? I learned that I think Alice Paul got frustrated with uh, the National Women's, what is it called? National Association of Women's Suffrage, which later became the League of Women Voters. Alice Paul felt that the Democrats were the ones that were holding women's suffrage back. Um, the Democrats didn't support the right to vote for women. And so, you know, she worked with Nassau for a while. She wanted to work at the national level. She thought the amendment was the only way to do it while NASA was working at the state. So they were taking a state by state approach. So they kind of had different different ideas of how it was going to happen. And so NASA did make create some space for Alice Paul by letting her be like basically what we have as a national lobby corps. They let her have a committee and they would go and lobby the hill. And it while it was somewhat effective, like I think it probably was still frustrating. I mean, look at the Congress now. We want all kinds of things to happen and things aren't happening. And you can go and knock on those doors and make relationships all you want. And at the end of the day, you realize that sometimes you just got to start holding people accountable. And that happens on Election Day. And so what Alice Paul ended up doing is she held the Democrats accountable. She ended up leaving Nassau and starting the National Women's Party and she started campaigning against the Democrats and 
that started putting fire under people and she also helped get people elected so the states that did have that women could vote and could run for office she would help them and i thought i mean that's just how amazing is that the book is claiming power and she truly did claim power arguably she probably went outside some areas and pushed it a little too far for instance they said that maybe one of the slip-ups that she had done is towards the end after the force feedings and the beatings and everything else she did burn wilson in effigy yes i did i read that it was in the woman's hour yeah and so it was like so people they think that maybe maybe has she not done that (laughs) but you know really i mean London just put a giant baby Trump, you know, in the air. So right. I don't know. <laughs> it's all uh, everything. Nothing's new under the sun, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, and I love and think in the woman's hour, it talks about what they had this fire in Lafayette Park yeah. of Wilson's speeches. They would take copies of his speeches and yeah. just burn them. <laughs> Yeah. It's like but I mean, this is yeah. nonviolence resistance. I mean, this is, you know, nothing is working so when nothing is working and you know that you know, this is not justice. This, the laws are wrong. Like, and you are so frustrated. You can't be violent. You have to find other ways to do it. And so, and uh, Alice Paul was really smart. And she, she learned from the Pankhurst in England and that she needed to get media attention and she needed to always have a spectacle. And so that's really where her skill came from was being a spectacle in the campaign. And so each time she had to do something, something big to get people's attention, to get people talking. So that's what the effigy was. That's what burning the words were. That's what the silent sentinels were. Like all of these things, she would go and have her volunteers stand on the street corner with their horns, um, put a box and they stand on top of the box and they just start shouting out, you know, Wilson's words. They'd shout out about women's right to vote. Um, and so uh, it was always about the spectacle. So really she was like a marketing queen. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. She She's a good PR person. You need yeah. her. Yeah. <laughs> And, and her um, organizing skills to get done. And I have heard, and Amy, you probably know more since you've read the books, but like it really took both the state, you know, what Carrie Chapman Cat did and Alice Paw yeah. to work together. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it seems like a lot of the members actually played both sides of the fence. So she, Alice Paul had some of the very same members that were in Carrie Chapman Cat's group. Mm. And it's just different times. Like, you know, some points they would want to stick local and stay with the state stuff. And other times they would be hitting the national stuff. And um, I think you have to have some of this more radical end to kind of push the others. And it pushes the boundaries and there is confrontation and conflict, but you know, conflict is what challenges us and makes us think bigger and you know, maybe what what new possibilities there are. It was a fantastic book. So I really recommend reading Alice Paul, Claiming Power. You'll learn, you know, how, I mean, truly how hard it really was uh, for her campaign to get the right to vote. And one thing I didn't realize too was how much fundraising she had to do. I mean, her main job was fundraising, constantly fundraising. Carrie Chapman Cat didn't have to do nearly as much fundraising as it seems from the Woman's Hour because she was already wealthy and then she had already gotten money, um, you know, for their work from, you know, some sizable donations. Uh, Alice Paul, she had Belmont, so we had talked about on the prior podcast because we went to the Belmont Paul house. But even still, she had to constantly keep going back to Belmont and asking for money. And then there was that there was other points where just, you know, Belmont wasn't giving money. She'd have to go to other people. And she just constantly had to ask people. And her organizers had to ask for people to get money. So it wasn't it wasn't just her. Um, and so uh, that's, you know, as we know, and the more we've been on the Alice Paul podcast is that fundraising has to be 
always part of our work. It's mm, very, right, very important. Right. The money makes it happen. The other book that I read, which is a fiction, and I don't usually read fiction, but my husband got it for me, and so I had to had to check it out. And it was actually on President Obama's um, 2017 recommended list of reading, and it's called The Power. And The Power is so fascinating and it's basically if women um young women 15 years old find they have this special power they have like electricity that goes through their body it's amazing and so they can shock you and they can control their power and um they can actually kill you too if you know too much and they can uh, awaken the power in older women and so basically all these women have this electric ability you know power and they take over the world and I don't want to give it away, but there is, it is interesting how like some of the chapters, like there's different issues that we are, that impact our lives uh-huh. um, and elect, uh, impact globally. So like we hear and read a lot about refugee crisis. Um, this book talks about, you know, men and women in refugee camps and what that's like. It also, we know how women are objectified in media and like on billboards and things. Well, this this uh, book talks about like how it's, it flips the script and, um, you know, the women are posing all strong and, you know, they're the ones that are like checking out the men and, and <laughs> men only want the really strong women. And so it's it's really interesting. And so I, I highly recommend it. President Obama, he picked a good one on that one. So that's called <laughs> The Power. Wow. Uh, Naomi uh, Alderman, she wrote that book. So The Power. Wow. It's very good. Someone, if you read it, let us know. We'd love or any of these books. We'd love for, to hear from you what you thought. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have any good recommendations, feel free to drop us a line at alicepaulpodcast at gmail.com. For our Deeds Not Words segment, we're going to be taking your questions and reviewing your comments about our show. We really appreciate everything that you uh, let us know about. And then we also wanted to talk about um, the 2018 convention in Chicago because we had um, such a great time there. Uh, I'm feeling really inspired. Um, I think a lot of us were coming out of convention like what else can we do and so we wanted to make sure that that we talk about it and if there's a question that you think of um, when we're going through this uh, shoot them our way and we'll talk about them in a future podcast first we're going to kind of answer your questions and our listener Jean asked us if we had seen the movie equal means equal thanks Jean Amy and I will definitely watch it and we'll let you know what we think I know that uh, the Equal Rights Amendment, we're, we're only one state away, so we definitely need to watch this movie and get up on it. So That was a big thing at convention, too, was a lot of talk about the ERA. Illinois had, had passed it earlier this spring. Things are moving. Virginia, we're Virginia, we have to pass it. Like It's going to be on our General Assembly again this uh, 2019, January, February time. So, Jean, feel free to email us lots. <laughs> and if you already have sample comments, action alerts, and letters that you want us to put out there for the URA for Virginians um, and North Carolina people and, and others, uh, feel free to share that with us. Yes. So Janice asks us if the Alice Paul podcast is an official podcast of the League of Women Voters. Uh, I have to say it's not. Um, that's For one, that's why it's Alice Paul and not Carrie Chapman Cat. Um but perhaps one day the League of Women Voters will want to take it over. So we are, you know, we are big League of Women Voters members, obviously. So we talk a lot about the League. But, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were separate from the brand of the League of Women Voters in case, you know, we're unofficial. So we um, we say what we feel and what we, these are our opinions. They're not necessarily reflecting 
what the League of Women Voters feels. So that's another reason why we're unofficial. Yeah. Just two league nerds who love league and love the people in the league. Who we wanna we wanna help give you the resources you need to make democracy work. So yes, and that should unofficially. be our, that should be our slogan. Just two yeah. league nerds. Yep. <laughs> Sitting in a room on Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. Talking league. That's right. <laughs> and, and recording it for you. Um, Janice also asked that we give Carrie Chapman Cat some cred. And Janice, you're not alone. We actually have had several people say this to us. And we, we love everything that Ka- Carrie Chapman Cat has done. Uh, I mean, we, we would not have the right to vote had it not been for Shaw, President Shaw, which was the president before Carrie Chapman Cat of Nassau. For, you know, Susan B. Anthony. I mean, there's so many suffragists uh, before um, Alice Paul came around that, you know, have props. And uh, we just right. love Alice Paul because, well, if you ever saw Iron John Angels, do you know why? You would love her too. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I really think like, um, especially from convention, um, hearing uh, Elaine Weiss talk about um, Carrie Chapman Cat, I feel like it's going to be a great story for the League of Women Voters to tell about mm-hmm. Carrie. And I feel like her name's going to be mentioned more and, and there's just going to be more of a natural um, public consciousness raising of what Carrie uh, brought to the fight for women's voting rights. So I'm sure there's more to come. We love Carrie and uh, we want to give her mega props, you know, all the time. So if you haven't seen Iron John Angels, then you need to go watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Stop listening to us. And go yeah. watch that. <laughs> it's amazing. You'll know why, why, why we picked it. So we want to talk about the comments you have left us. And so I want to um, shout out to Christina. Um, she thanked us for explaining the difference between lobbying and advocacy that we did in episode one, which is probably um, one of our most popular podcast episodes. So if you haven't um, taken a listen to that one, that one's going to um, really, I think a lot of people uh, appreciate that because I think it really helps to talk about the difference between lobbying and advocacy. Yeah, do do go back and check it out, especially if you're kind of new to league and you're swimming and trying to figure out what everything means and does and league has its own lingo. So uh, Jean said that we are old school meets new school and that we have a wicked sense of humor. <laughs> I so appreciate that. Thank you, Jean. That is awesome. Amy, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I was at convention and people loved when we talk about uh, pissing in their boots. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I think maybe that's a little bit of our wicked sense of humor. We actually haven't done a pissing in the boots um, uh, pod, like uh, an action alert area for a while. I know. I mean, tonight we are, but we had a couple of really outstanding interviews that took the place of our pissing in the boots. So it's going to be, it'll be good to... To, to revisit that. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. I'm drinking lots of water, so we'll be ready. <laughs> I have a glass of wine, so we're good. <laughs> we'll be back with that, so don't yeah. worry. You all are so kind. Thanks so much for leaving questions and comments. And as we said before, if you'd like to leave more, if you have any questions that you, you know, can't find the answers to about either about league or, or just activism in general, feel free to email us at alicepaulpodcast at gmail.com. You can also drop us a link on our Facebook and Instagram. We're here for you. If you have, if you need any resources, any tools, you need some connections, just let us know. Reach us out. Yes. Again, it's alicepaulpodcast at gmail.com. And you can even record yourself asking a question or uh, leaving us a comment and we will play it on the, on an upcoming podcast. 
Yeah, that'd be super cool. So someone please do that so that we can at least experiment and see how that works. Yeah, we wanted to come back with some convention reflections. And so um, convention was popping and hopping and I barely slept. I don't know about you, Amy, but I was exhausted when I got back. (laughs) Yeah, it took me like four days to recover. (laughs) Yeah, everybody experiences this at convention. There's so much more that you could do than you pot like than you can even have time to do that. It's just really invigorating because yeah. everybody's so committed and there's so many things to do. It's like whatever you care about, you can learn more. So I was talking to staff and they were saying that back in the day, I don't know how many years ago, so maybe you know, we'll say a decade. The convention used to be from Thursday to Tuesday, which wow. you know nobody can do that because everybody works. So they had to condense it. Well, now it goes from Thursday night until Sunday morning. I think at we usually what conclude around noon or so. They had to put all that same content and squish it into a couple of days. So our days start at 7.30 in the morning and don't get over until about 10.30 at night. And that doesn't even include networking. Our days at convention, if you if you weren't able to go to Chicago this year, they are so long. And it's just, it is packed. You have caucuses and a caucus is like a workshop. So leagues all around the country, they are experts at you know an issue. So for example, since we've been on the ERA tonight, we had a group in there that knows all about the ERA. So they held a caucus and while they're holding a caucus, there's probably 10 other leagues or other groups that are also holding caucuses at that exact same time. So you have to choose what you want to go to. And usually you have, you know, your delegation from your state. And so you're all like, okay, I'm going to go here. You go there. Everybody take notes. We'll come back here. And then we're going to compare notes. And so it's it's crazy. It's totally crazy. Right. And then at the same time, National is also trying to, you know, we have a lot of different things going on and we want our members to get caught up. So like the whole organization is going through a transformational change right now. And so we have caucuses that are about that. And it's it's hard because you're like, well, I want to learn about what's happening at National. But on the other hand, my state's going through redistricting and I want to see and hear about how other states have done it. And you're like, oh, crap, how do I... How do I you know, split myself into two? Right. So it's there's a lot, and then when we're not having uh, when the between caucuses we have uh, I'm gonna say the word wrong, so Melissa gonna have to correct me. I always say plenary, but it's not plenary. It's, uh, pl- plenary. <laughs> plenary. That's when the organization does its business, and so there's certain certain things you have to get done at convention. I mean, that's really what the goal of convention is: is for the members to approve the budget, to approve the slate. Or elect new people if, you know, people want to be nominated from the floor and then we actually have a real election. We also change the bylaws or adjust or update the bylaws if ne- if needed. If there's positions, we do a consensus on the, or not consensus, we um, approve the positions. What else do we do? What's other business stuff that we do, Melissa? And then the resolutions. Oh, yeah. Yep. So then the resolutions are a little... A little different, I think uh, we could probably spend an entire podcast just on resolutions. Uh, those are, it's you're not changing anything. You're it's more like we're putting emphasis on programs. So you know we've talked about it in, in the past January, February leagues come together and they you know come up with their program. They relook at positions and say does this need to be dropped, updated, or do we need to add something. Uh, resolutions are saying we want to put extra emphasis on these issues. So, for instance, at this convention, uh, the national popular vote came through, the ERA came through, um, there was a climate, two, one or two climate change um, issues came through, and so we. That's a you know that's another way of the members using their voice during a convention to tell the national league that as a whole organization we want to put more emphasis on some of these big issues 
And so, like the ERA, for instance, that came up because we're only one state away. So it's after we get this last state, that means it gets kicked back to the federal and, you know, we want the National League to, you know, get their lobby core and get others, you know, to start working on that um, to find out what we can do. Similarly, national popular vote coming up, you know, when we have the presidential election, you know, we want to have more conversation and action on that. Climate change is because, you know, basically the planet's on fire and we need to keep on that one. So yeah, there was a lot. Oh, and then I guess there was one emergency resolution that was put in and that's because uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice uh, Kennedy had just announced his retirement like the day of, the day before convention started. And so our members were, you know, we're all really worried what's going to happen with LGBTQT, you know, rights, with women's choice rights. And so that was the league using that opportunity to say like, we, we are really worried and we are going to stay vigilant on this issue and we're going to watch the nominations like a hawk and, um, see how that one goes so so yeah it's a it was a cool opportunity for the league to come together to get business done but you know it's 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 really is more about it's more than just business it's about reaffirming our beliefs and our values it's like the culmination of the grassroots because amy you mentioned about how local leagues come together um in like late winter early spring to talk about these issues and then they can lobby other local leagues and so all this comes to fruition at convention i love watching plenary i know a lot of people might not love it as much as i do because it can be um you know use robert's rules but that's the only way you're we're going to be able to get a thousand people to uh, come together on any on any issue is um, plenary and going through it and hearing people's pro and cons on on issues when i was at convention there is there was a like a dividing line between our younger members who had just joined the league and between our more seasoned members who'd been to several conventions. So most of the seasoned ones, are, they, they knew that this is how convention works. You'll have these business sessions and you have Robert's Rules of Orders and it's sitting sometimes for like five hours with like a 15 minute break and it can be long. And you, I don't, I think as a new person, you probably don't feel very empowered to get to a mic because you're like, I have no idea what the hell is going on right now. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know, maybe in the future, the league will consider how they can change this, um, you know, do proxy voting. I don't right. know. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate and understand why we have to have this uh, because you can't just have chaos. People have to feel like they have a opportunity to be heard. There has to be some order to it. But then on the other hand, you know, we spend a lot of time and money and a lot of people can't even show up. And if they can't be there, does that mean it really is democracy when, you know, they're also part of this organization? So I think that as a whole, the league is going to have to, you know, as we go through this transformation, consider some of these other things. Right. And with technology now, you know, there's different organizations do convention voting in different ways. And so maybe the league can, you know, consider looking at some of those other ones. You know, since we have a national board member on the, on the podcast, <laughs> she can take this back. Yes, I will. I will take it back. And it's like, how can we use technology and, you know, transform to to get even more done? Right. Yep. And to be more inclusive, because I think that's the other thing is, you know, really, when you think about who can actually go to convention, it's people who have the privilege of time and the privilege of money. Right. Um, and so every, you know, many people can't. And how do we make sure that we elevate their voices so that they can be in the room and, and be part of the decision making as well? Right. And so I think that's something that the league will have to consider as they move forward. So um, some of the other big highlights that happened at convention was the 
the League of Women Voters United States is uh, partnered up with a firm, a, di- a diversity, equity, inclusion firm. And so that was weaved throughout the entire convention. So starting from Thursday night, we had Wellstone, uh, who came and did training for uh, like gr- like true grassroots organizing training. So League members, we're like, we're experts when it comes to voter registration and putting on public policy forums. But um, I felt that going through that Wellstone and listening to my colleagues in the room, I was like, I don't know that we actually, some of them in the room are, feel as confident about doing actual grassroots organizing. Mm-hmm. And so the Wellstone uh, people were trying to like push, you know, challenge our members and say, okay, so after you do that voter registration of that person who came up to your table, what do you do next? And they're like, well, we file it away. We we go and deliver it to the Secretary of State. And they're like, no, 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 no. First, you need to capture the data because you need to follow up with that person. And secondly, you say, hey, can I count on you to come to this you know, redistricting event and bring a sign? Do you always want to make sure you follow up with, can I count on you? And so I think right. that really challenged our members because like, no, 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 we don't, it, that, no, that stops. So I'm looking forward to more of those kinds of trainings. And right. I, I was really excited about it. And um, the uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, there are um, presentation materials from that training. If like you weren't able to attend convention, it's on the uh, league management website. It's under the convention presentation archive. So there's so much information on lwv.org from convention. If you attended convention and you didn't take a lot of notes or, you know, you wanted to share it with um, other members who weren't able to attend. I mean, they got the the new video that um, they premiered at convention that that local leagues can use and they have all of the daily briefings all the business that happened at convention for each day there's press release it's just really great wow i didn't even actually hadn't even checked it out so i'll make sure we put a link to that directly from our website to the convention information at the wellstone i don't know how you had it in your training but they talked about privilege and power so i feel like that's when the diversity equity inclusion conversation really got started was thursday at the wellstone training and then i noticed and i thought that was really really great to like just introduce it then and then we got really into it on saturday where the whole convention all thousand people got divided up and we had um an actual firm that came in and really got into what power is what privilege is what's bias and um i think our members really appreciated having this opportunity to grow and be challenged right and i i'd say it's um if you have done uh, like diversity training at work like let's say um even like five ten years ago like this not that's not the type of training this is this is about equity not equality and i think Mm -hmm. it's um some people think that oh i've done this but it's really challenging um, it's like equity is so much more powerful than, and justice is so much more powerful than just equality. This will be something that the league will continue to work in. We all recognize that this is one of the challenges of the league, looking at its demographics. And, you know, if it wants to expand, be, you know, expand the democracy space, we want more people voting. This is, the league is going to be going through some, some changes. It's exciting. Absolutely. So I have to say probably my most favorite part of convention was getting to meet Virginia Case, the new the new CEO for the League of Women Voters. This woman is incredible. She's warm, she's smart, she I just she has so much passion and heart 
and I cannot wait to see her lead the league into 2020, past 2020. She She's a true grassroots organizer. Uh, she's worked with immigrant rights groups. CASA, for instance, is a, is a very awesome group here on the East Coast. And she, before that, worked with uh, gang intervention on the East Coast. And so this woman has got so much life experience and she's got an amazing story. I hope that uh, some of our listeners one day you'll get to meet her and she could tell your story. She's, she's going to be incredible. So if you haven't read the Glamour issue, there's a Glamour article that came out about her recently. We'll have to post it on our, yeah. Facebook, or on our website. But um, I sh- just check it out. And uh, she's just, I got to spend a lot of time with her. I was kind of like her aide for a convention and got to learn about her a lot. And she's just, I'm just so excited. I'm yes. so excited to have this woman here. Yeah, and I got to meet her just briefly, but uh, I think we lucked out with having uh, her come on board. And she's going to start in July, right, Amy? Yep, yep, yeah. towards the end of July. I think she'll I think she'll be there for your first national board meeting. Yeah, I think that's like her first day. I think so. <laughs> so she's jumping right in. This is a great time to be in league. Having um, this new CEO and the league is, you know, really committed to the diversity, equity, inclusion, to doing grassroots organizing, you know, all of our mission impact work with expanding democracy, it's a great time to be doing this stuff. It's, yeah. it's just too bad that we have all of the crazy political stuff happening, but right. it just means we got got to keep working. It's more it's more important than ever. Okay, so this is your activist action alert. This is our peeing in their boots moment. Woohoo! Woo! <laughs> I'm I'm getting I'm getting ready. I'm doing this a little di- different tonight. I want to I wanted to give uh tools. I recently came in contact with an organization called everyvoice.org. We'll post that on our website as well. And so instead of talking about a particular issue that sucks, because there's a lot of them, this organization reached out and they are putting a week of action together. It's called Fix Democracy Now. And so I wanted to share this because I feel like it's it's very empowering and they give you a lot of tools and resources. And that in itself um, is empowering. So from Sunday, July 29th to August 4th, our friends at Every Voice are coordinating and organizing a national week of action. This week, like I said, is called Fix Democracy Now. And it's about small donor elections, redistricting reform, and voting rights. Every Voice has put together a toolkit of materials for you and the candidates that you work with to participate in the Fix Democracy Now week from July 29th to August 4th. So with the Supreme Court vacancy now on the line and a a nominee who is hostile to common sense campaign finance regulations and voting rights, it is more important than ever that we work together to show that creating a democracy that works for everyone and not just the wealthy and corporations is a top priority. You know, money and politics is my issue. So I'm going to love what these people are doing because we have got to make it so that normal people can participate in the electoral process. The toolkit includes talking points, a sample email for your members, email platforms, suggested social media, a briefing book for candidates, answering tough questions, a polling roundup, and more. So over the next few weeks, Every Voice will continue adding materials. And so you'll see it if you go on their website. And they're also going to add stuff about the Supreme Court nominee. So you really want to stay tuned on that one. If you're able to be part of the Fixed Democracy Now Week, you can check out what other groups are planning and let every voice know the ways you think you'll get involved so they can help you promote it using their Google Doc. And we'll add that to our website. And here's a reminder for some of the top priorities you can help with to draw attention to the importance of fixing democracy. So for organizations like the League, get your grassroots activists involved. Sign a 
hashtag Fix Democracy Now petition ahead of the Fix Democracy Week, calling on candidates to tell us where they stand. So especially if you're doing those candidate forums, this would be a good opportunity to have them start talking about small donor um, donations, talk about redistricting reform, voting rights, those kinds of things. Um, so also during that week, encourage activists to bird dog candidates in person. So you really want them to start you know, being there in the person and asking those tough questions about democracy. And then also social media posts, use hashtag FixDemocracyNow. So if you have your people on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, any of those things, ask them to use hashtag FixDemocracyNow so that we can all be on the same conversation together. We just learned too from Every Voice that there's a new poll that was reported in the Washington Post that shows how Americans are losing faith in our democracy. So by giving voters tangible, achievable solutions, we can show them it's possible to create a political system that works for us all. So I hope you participate in this uh, Fixed Democracy Now week of action. I know for per for me, this feels very empowering. They're going to give me the tools, make it easy. And these are on issues that I, I truly care about and that I feel are fundamental to the electoral process. I hope you'll join me. This is Melissa Currents. And this is Amy Yersted. We ask, what would Alice Paul do? But it's more important what you're going to do. So check out the league's website, go review all the convention materials, and then join us for a week of action and fix democracy now, because everything is on the line. Until next time.